Well, good morning. It's indeed a pleasure to be here. This is our first time here at Gateway, and uh, pretty excited about that. Not the first time I've been with Tony, though. We've known each other for about 20 years, so uh, way back when he was with Gary Lawton down in Vineland. So got a bit of a history there, and uh, it's a real treat to be here. Uh, accompanying me this morning are my beautiful wife Susan in the front row. She hates it when I do that, so. Uh, but uh, she is beautiful, and I think I'll keep her. We're going to have our 40th wedding anniversary next week, so uh, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a joke. Think I'll keep her. Uh, we always said if we were Roman Catholic, we'd have to nominate her for sainthood for sticking with me for so long. Uh, but she's been good. My son Ezekiel's with us. And uh, pretty excited to be here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, please open them to Romans 15. This will not really be a Bible study per se. We're going to uh, just share with you about the ministry today and hopefully help you to see um, not only your part in, in giving as a church, but maybe that God would call you as well. Because, you know, there's no... Well, I've been walking with the Lord for over 40 years, and I'll tell you what, the world needs Jesus now more than I've ever seen. So that's uh, a pretty wild place. And um, we're in Romans, and I, I am a pastor in a, a little country called Bahrain in the Middle East, and I'll show you a map of that in a minute. But, um, you know, as you do here with Calvary Chapels, uh, we teach the Bible verse by verse as well over there. And... Uh, my my assistant pastor, uh, they had a baby, and I said, what are you going to name the baby? And he said, I'm, we're naming it Roman. And I said, now why is that? He said, well, we stopped and thought about it, and we said, you know, from conception to delivery, you were teaching the book of Romans. <laughs> so, uh, good book, and I wish I could be here to do that, you know, spend a year or two in Romans with you, but because uh, I don't like it when we just go to churches where they just focus on the end the but that's what's happening here. At the end of this book, Paul kind of recaps some of the things that we as believers are called to do. And we're reminded. He gives us a little reminder. You know, there's a fellow named Alan Redpath that used to say, it's quite possible to have a saved soul, but a lost life. In other words, yes, you've got the grace of God and, and you get the worship and you have this wonderful thing going on in you, but you're not doing anything with it. And, and I think that's just, man, I, I feel sorry for people like that. When I got saved, I, I thought, I am not going to sit in a pew for the rest of my life. I'm going to live this life, the Christian adventure. And what an adventure it's been. So um, anyway, in Romans 15, 15, uh, Paul writes here, and I, uh, this is the ESV. He says, I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. So I'm going to remind you that support our ministry, what we're actually doing over there, and, um, and perhaps, again, that you yourself uh, might be called to serve. And I told Pastor Tony, I said, I think everybody should serve, and I think all of us should call. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean across the sea. It might very well mean across the street. And you know what? It's harder to go to across the street as a missionary than it is across the sea. Because when you go across the sea, people like you get together and you send checks. Sometimes you send cookies, you know. Uh, sometimes you go in the church and your picture's on the wall, and there's a little bit of glory to it. But if you go across the street, nobody really notices, do they? Well, the Lord notices. The Lord notices. And that's a calling, too, to share the gospel with whoever we know. So um, that's where I'm coming from. Let's see where we're going. Let's look at that first picture. Okay. We live in that little tiny sliver called Bahrain down in the right-hand side. and uh, Just a tiny little sliver. Uh, actually, we had a church here in Ocean County for a number of years, and the entire country of Bahrain would fit into Ocean County. I'm there serving as the pastor uh, in that area, in, uh, in a little uh, non-denominational church, you might say. But we live there, and it's right between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And that whole area is like looking at a chessboard. Why is that? Because everybody over there hates each other. You know, The Sunnis are in Saudi Arabia and the Shia are in Iran. And then there's a blend of them all throughout the region. And uh, nobody really gets along with each other. In this map, they have Israel. But sometimes if you look at an Arab map, they just have a blank there. They don't even put the name up, you know. But uh, 
it's it's an interesting place but a, a lot of folks don't realize there are millions of Christians living in that area as well now a lot of them are leaving they're scared because there's a lot of hatred and killing going on and sometimes it's aimed toward us um, but the big conflict these days is between Shia and Sunni Muslims let's look at the next one this is in Bahrain. Uh, I took the picture on the bottom when I was taking my daughter to school one day. Uh, a lot of times the Shia, uh, let me lay, start over. The Sunni run the government, and there's about 40% of the Muslims there are Sunni, and 60% are Shia. So when you run the government, you get all the money, right? So the Shia want to kind of take over the government there. It's all part of that Arab Spring. And people say to me, well, you know, are you afraid there? And, and I'm not. I'm really not. You know why? Because you can be in no safer place than in God's will. So, you know, we could be sitting here today, and I hope it doesn't happen, but I mean, an airplane could drop a fuselage or something that could come right through the roof, and we're all in heaven. Hallelujah. And that's the alternative. So wherever you are, don't be afraid uh, wherever you are. We're not afraid. And besides that, not only do we have the Lord on our side, but the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet is there. That's the home port of the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet. Let's show them a nicer picture. That's my wife Sue and I on the aircraft carrier, as it says. Uh, we have the privilege in our church of serving uh, many men and women of the United States military. Please pray for them. Please pray for them. Every once in a while, one of them will come to me and say, Pastor, uh, I'm not going to be in church for a couple weeks. Uh, will you watch over my family and say some extra prayers for me? And I know not to ask them where they're going, but I can tell you this. We're continually sending troops into Iraq, uh, into Syria, into Yemen, uh, back into Afghanistan. And um, it's, it's, yeah, they're in a, a war zone, even though the news doesn't report it much. It's a wonderful church, though, that we serve there. We've been there for a little over four years. And in that time, we have met people from 51 different nations around the world. And you can imagine with 51 nations represented, how many denominations are represented. Uh, but we don't argue with each other. You know, we, we follow that Augustinian uh, motto in the essentials unity. If you're a Christian, there's certain things you have to believe to be a Christian. If you don't believe those things, then you're not a Christian. You know, take something like the Apostles' Creed, you'll understand what I'm saying. In the essentials, unity. But in the non-essentials, liberty. And there's a whole awful lot of gray in the Bible where we have choices to uh, live out our faith in different ways. Uh, so in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And the kicker is this. In all things, charity. Do we love each other? And that's important, you know, that you love each other in the church. Give each other a little elbow room, but, you know, agree on the essentials. So it's an honor to serve those military families there and all the other folks. We have limited religious freedom in the Middle East. Believe it or not, I have a work permit that uh, identifies me as a priest. I didn't know that until one day I was doing something with my telephone and they took my identity card. We have to carry an identity card. And uh, the guy <laughs> looks at me, he puts it in the computer, and he, he looks up and says, will you pray for me, Muslim fellow? I said, why would you ask me to pray for you? He goes, well, you're a priest, aren't you? So that's pretty cool to live in a Muslim country and be called a priest. So we have some tolerance, but we are not shy. Let's look at the next picture. I don't know if you're allowed to do this here anymore in the good old USA, but we go to the shopping mall once a year and we sing praises to Jesus. And it's amazing because Jesus is mentioned in the Quran. They talk about Mary, his mother, having a, a virgin birth in the Quran. And so we get to go there and we sing about Jesus. And, and I love it when some of our Arab friends come with us and sing in Arabic because that really freaks out the Muslims. They're like, they're singing in Arabic. Are they Christians? And we say, yeah, they are. You can be one too. And it's nothing for people to come up. Women that are all covered, all you can see is their face. And they say, oh, you're singing about Christmas. I love Christmas. Can I sing with you? Well, sure, why not, you know. And there we are in the shopping mall singing to the Lord. But by the way, at the bottom on some of these slides, I've written our web page if you want to write that down and you can look it up and um, keep up with us. we got a lot of old newsletters on there. Let's look at the next one had a wonderful opportunity four times now to meet the king and uh, that's pretty cool for a guy from South Jersey you know we don't get to do that here and uh, I, the first time I met him I was 
just kind of impressed with the whole thing of meeting a king. But while I was there, he said to me, he said, you know, I had to go to school in England, and when I went to school, they made us go to chapel. He said, I didn't understand much of it. He said, but I liked the singing, and I always felt better when I left than when I had gone in. Do you feel that way today? I hope you feel better when you leave today than when you came here. Well, that's how the king felt. And when he said, he went on, he said, he said, the other kings in the area wouldn't like this. He said, but if I had my way, there'd be a Christian church in every village in my country. And he said, I want you pastors to know you're welcome here. I thought, boy, where's a Bible? Let's have a Bible study. So the next time I met him, it was on this occasion, and, and uh, I thought I'd take him a Bible. So I, there I am giving the king a Bible, and I said to him, uh, Your Majesty, I said, there's not a whole lot I can give you, but I'll give you this. The Bible tells us to pray for the governments of the country, and I want you to know that our church prays for you. So we're going to give you our friendship. In other words, we're not going to give you a hard time here. I want you to know that you have my friendship. But I want to give you something even better than that. I want to give you the Word of God in Christ Jesus. And I handed him this beautiful Arab Bible, and uh, he accepted it with grace. And I haven't heard from him since. I put my business card in there. I thought maybe call up with a few questions, but so far, no good. So anyway, um, let's go to the next one. You probably heard about the killings in Nice, France. There are killings all over the world. We're going to look at that in a minute. But uh, right before I left last week, a couple of us pastors went over, and uh, that's the French ambassador, and we had a chance to pay condolences. But uh, it's quite an interesting ministry, you know, just a lot of different forms that it takes. Uh, let's go to the next one. I forgot that. There, that's the one I want. Up in the left-hand corner, that's Susan in white, and she's part of the kindergarten. That's just the kindergarten department in her school. Uh, it's called the Ibn Khadun National School, and it's a wonderful ministry she has there with them. Uh, every day before classes start, about five or six of them gather for prayer. And it is not uncommon for one of the Muslim teachers or assistants to have, you know, conflicts in their life and problems. And they'll come to her in private and say, hey, Miss Sue, would you pray for me? You know, a lot of ministry goes on like Nicodemus at night, right? You know, uh, value that, cherish that. It may happen with you as well. Uh, but it's a great school. And they're having a good time. And, you know, I asked her early on, why did you pick that school? And, and these, the kids that go there, they're part of the Sunni um, faith over there. They're the people with money, actually. And uh, she said it was, kind of took her back in the beginning. Uh, you know, these kids are coming in at four years old, and they've all got a nanny and a chauffeur and an iPad. <laughs> they're ready to go. And uh, we never saw that much over here. And uh, some of them driving Ferraris, you know. So, but she said to me once, she said, you know, a lot of the factions in Islam want the kids to grow up in hate, and they want them to hate Christians. She said, we can counter that hate with the love of Christ. And my goal is to love these kids so much that when they are challenged to hate Christians, they'll say, no, I'm not going to do that because I knew Miss Sue, and she loved me, and she loved Jesus. No, I'm not going to hate those people. Again, another facet of the ministry. Um, and then there's Dreams Alive, if we'll throw the next one up. So the bulk of our ministry is there in Bahrain, but occasionally they let us go out. And the money that is given to us does not go to us. It goes to this other ministry. And this ministry is among the persecuted Christians all across the Middle East. We do ministry down in Egypt. We've been in Lebanon. We built a playground for kids in Lebanon. I go to Iraq now, uh, which has kind of become a focus of our ministry, and in Jordan. Uh, and we're ministering primarily to the refugees. Um, and again, there's the web page. So let's get into the Bible a little bit. Um, if you'll look with me to Romans chapter 15, the first thing I'd like to say is that God has called all of us to serve. And in verse 14, as Paul's wrapping up this marvelous letter, he says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. Now when, when the Bible says you, my brethren, who is it talking about? You guys, right? Us. This is to us, so take it to heart. I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. And in the ESV version, it says, 
competent to instruct others in the faith. That's his idea of admonish. Now, is that a picture of you today? Paul says it is. That's what it means to be a Christian. Full of goodness. Complete in knowledge. You say, well, wait a second. You, you know, you went to Bible college. Pastor Tony, I, he, he, I can't be like that. If you know in your heart and believe with your heart, John 3.16, you know more about God than three-fifths of the people on this planet. Don't wait until you've had a chance to go to Bible college to start sharing your faith. You've been equipped to serve. And that's why it's so important that when they have these Bible studies and, and Sunday morning, Sunday morning is nice, but boy, the place you're going to grow is in a Bible study where you can ask questions and really kick that thing around and learn and grow. But we need to study God's Word because when, when you study God's Word, you've got something special. You've got something that makes you different. Hold on to it. Uh, learn it. By the way, I love to tell people this. I was not discipled by a pastor. Yes, I went to church when I got saved. But the man that discipled me was a delivery driver for Coca-Cola. And that man loved me, and I'm looking forward to I'm going to see him next week, and I can't wait. Okay? You don't have to go to seminary. You're called, and, and you're equipped. You're equipped to serve. So let me go share a little bit about the bad guys. Let's look at the next slide. This is what, well, okay, let's go past that. <laughs> that was an elder, by the way, in the Egyptian church. Uh, this is what you think of typically when you think of the Middle East. I remember sharing in my home church up in Ocean County one time, and I said to somebody, what do you think we should do about the Palestinian-Israeli problem? And somebody shouted out, nuke them. Well, I hope you don't have that attitude because if you nuke the Muslims, you're going to be nuking a lot of your Christian brothers and sisters. And I told the man, he was my assistant pastor, by the way. <laughs> I said, well, brother, I did have light in mind. Bring the light to the people. But it wasn't nuclear-powered light, you know. Well, these are the bad guys. We call them Dash over there. It's a derogatory term. And, uh, but you know them as ISIS. And um, I would just say to you what I've learned to say to many people. You know, we think in America that all Arabs are Muslims and all Muslims are terrorists. And it is just not that way at all. All Arabs are not Muslims. I, I go to Arab-led churches all the time. The monies I give, I, I work through Arab Christian uh, churches. Uh, but Islam does inspire extremism. So when you hear that pablum coming out of the White House and certain news departments in the United States that Islam is a religion of peace, it is not a religion of peace. And I'm going to tell you, I live there. If I were to say to you, uh, this fellow in the front row here is a good Christian, what would determine that? It would determine that you read the gospel and you live the gospel. Amen? So if a Muslim reads the Quran and lives the Quran, that's what he turns out to be. Okay, so when people say, oh, he's a good Muslim, what they mean is he's a secular Muslim. He probably drinks, and if nobody's watching, has a pork sandwich now and again. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I've been eating pork for a week, and I can't get enough of it. <laughs> But it is getting so bad. Uh, we just had a, a Ramadan, which is a time of fasting during the daytime, and uh, all the coffee shops and restaurants are closed till nighttime. And uh, and they took opportunity. The bad guys took opportunity all around the world to just start killing people during one of their holy months. They actually set off a bomb in Medina, the second holiest city in Saudi Arabia. I mean, they are out of control right now. And the only answer, you know, you saw the picture of me and the French ambassador. He said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, what do you think the answer is to all this hate? I said, Ambassador, well, there, there's only one answer to the hate. It's the love of Christ. People need Jesus. Um, but just statistically, just so you know this, up until July 16th, right before I left Bahrain, there were, uh, this year alone, 1,274 Islamic attacks in 50 countries in which 11,774 people were killed and 14,303 were injured 
it is not the religion of peace. In fact, let's throw the next one up there. Next, yeah, okay, there's a website. You, they, these people track all the killings. So if you want to, you know, get the statistics, you can do that. Those are uh, Taliban. They need Jesus. And uh, if you saw the verse, you know, this is to be expected. Jesus said in John 16, 2, there will come a time when, to, when they kill you that they think they will be pleasing God. And we are in that time. And you need to be aware of that. And, you know, ask the Lord to give you courage uh, for that day. Now, again, I, I want to say, you know, not all of them are, are bad. There's a lot of secular ones. And a lot of Muslims that I talk to are turning away from God altogether. They're becoming atheists and agnostics because they say, if this is what religion is, we don't want any part of it. Because a normal Muslim person, the people that Susan works with, most of them, they just want to love their wives and, and raise their kids in peace and safety, see them go off to college, get a good job, have a nice family, just the same things you want. So it's a wonderful time to talk to them about Jesus because God is love. Allah Mohabba, it says in, in the Gospel of John, God is love. Excuse me, that's in First John. This is a great time to share your faith with Muslims. And we in America, now I know a lot of you may be freaked out about all this immigration stuff. Let me tell you, it is not a problem. It could be. But if the church stands up and starts inviting these people into our lives and loving them and show them what it's like to live for Christ, I'm telling you this is the most wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with Muslims that the world has ever seen. So don't be too freaked out about the immigration. But if you want to... I can talk to you about how you can do this. Sue and I had a family living in our house before we moved over there, uh, temporarily housing them. And, and she, I remember the lady saying, you and Susan, you're so different than the other Americans we've met. Why are you so different? We said, well, we've been telling you, dear, it's all about Jesus. You know, So you will have that opportunity to let the light shine. So, anyway, back to the bad guys. Uh, July and August 2014, ISIS made headlines by uh, coming out of Syria and going down into Iraq. Uh, and they were killing everybody that didn't believe exactly what they did. They are Sunni Muslims, and so the Shia were being, being killed. Uh, they specifically targeted a group called Yazidi, which is a mix of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. It's a very small group. Uh, they were targeted. You recall the Sinjar Mountain, perhaps, where they got ran up there for safety, and after two weeks of no food and water, the United States got involved and started bombing around them to make a path that they could get over to northeastern Iraq uh, to safety, an area where the Kurds live. And um, they actually believe that God approves of their murder, rape, and uh, all the other things they do, and they think they're uh, pleasing God to do that. So. Let's put this next one up. That uh, symbol is a letter. It's the letter Nun or N in Arabic. And uh, you see to the left, they've put a circle around it. It looks like a happy face, but there's nothing happy about it. That symbol is the equivalent of the uh, Star of David that the Nazis made the Jews wear in World War II. If you know your history, you know what I'm talking about. That is not a good thing to have painted on the side of your house or your business. And it basically was advertising to every all the bad guys, look, this is a home where you can go in there and take anything you want. And they gave the Christians the opportunity to do one of three things. They could either convert... They could stay there and pay a religious tax and no, you can't go to church. You can worship in your house and that's the extent of it. Or you can leave. And if you leave, don't take anything with you. Uh, a lot of them didn't have the opportunity to leave uh, and they were kept there. They, many of them died. Many of them were crucified. Uh, there were quite a few were decapitated. They do horrible things and they really believe they're pleasing God. I want to ask you to remember them. And um, we have a project in Jordan at one of the churches that is helping refugees. And this is a little mosaic. In Jordan, they're known for mosaic work. Uh, the oldest map of Israel is to be found in Jordan on the, on the church floor made out of mosaics. These are stone. And uh, this is a noon. It stands for Nasara. Nasara meaning the Nazarene. Okay. 
They use it as a derogatory term. Oh, you're you're Nasara. You're you're a Nazarene. Um, but we put these out, and and when you look at it, you remember that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are risking their very lives to live for Christ. This is not a question of being laughed at or not invited to a drinking party because you know Jesus. This is a life and death matter. I had the chance to baptize a Saudi Arabian uh, last year and I remember when I first met him and he said I, I want to become a Christian and I said to him you know it's the duty of your brothers and your father to kill you for that do you understand what you're asking he said I do understand I want to be a Christian and you know so then I spent some time with him going over the Bible and what he could expect and uh, in September I baptized him baptized another Muslim from Bahrain and uh, I think there were about 12 of them from around the world that day we baptized in a swimming pool but we take it serious these are on sale the money does not go to me it goes to the refugees from Iraq uh, most of them are Iraqi Christians and some Syrian Christians they're $20 I please ask you to take one because they're heavy I don't want to carry them back okay. <laughs> they were supposed to be at the East Coast Pastors Conference by the way but the the um, what do you call those people at the airport? Inspections people. They, they kept them there for three weeks, so they never made it. Uh, but they're there if you want them. That's great. And I also brought a gift for Pastor Tony. This is a study guide. If you'd like to learn more about what it means to be a Christian in the Middle East today, in Iraq, in Syria uh, especially, but in Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, we live 12 miles away from Saudi Arabia, and it is illegal to even own a Bible in Saudi Arabia. So... Um, but I will tell you this, the church is alive and well there. <laughs> they just, they're just quieter than, than us here. So, where am I? Anyway, yeah, um, that's the noon. And, I, you know, when all that happened in August of 2014, I was in Bahrain. Sue was still here in the States. And, and I uh, sat and looked at the news and saw these things that I wish I'd never seen that were happening to Christians. And, and I began to cry. And, and then after that, I began to pray. And I said, well, Lord, somebody ought to do something about that. And, you know, that still small voice of the Lord, you know what he said to me? Well, how about you? <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So I started praying about it, and in 2014, um, excuse me, in October of 2014, a couple months later, I finally got a chance to get into Iraq, and I was thrilled to be there. And I saw these, these Yazidi people mostly, and, uh, and some of the Christians, but uh, they were everywhere. There were thousands of them that had fled. Uh, and really, the number is, is over, t uh, close to 3 million refugees have come out of Syria and Iraq, and the last five years. It's the largest refugee problem, by the way, that the world has ever seen. So this is a big problem. Let's go to the next one. I'll show you a few pictures of these folks. Okay, go, go to another one. All right. I'm standing outside of school praying and talking with people there way up near Turkey. And uh, so we're up between Turkey and Iran and Syria. And um, this is a school. That year, they didn't have any school that entire year because so many people came in, and there was just nowhere to go with them. So the schools were empty. It was August. They said, well, just stay in the school. We'll figure it out later. Let's go to the next one. As it says, 40 Yazidi families camped on the lawn of a gas station. Uh, they were just everywhere. And I went to one group. We, we brought a truckload of shoes to them. And... Um, you know, we're sitting there having a cup of tea and I'm with this family, and I asked the guy, I said, so what do you do about hygiene? There were over 200 people living in a half-built warehouse. It had a roof over it is about it. I said, what do you do about hygiene? He said, you know, well, there's a nice Muslim guy across the street who owns that gas station. And he said, if we keep it clean, we can use the men's room and the ladies' room. Now, I don't know how many people use your bathroom this week. But 200 people in and out all day, amazing, you know, but you do what you got to do. Uh, let's go to the next one. This is the largest camp I had gone to. The picture doesn't do it justice. I drove around that camp uh, for eight minutes in a pickup truck with a couple of these Kurdish guys. I had my phone out the window, and I got a film of eight minutes long, and I, we didn't cover the whole place. The, the number of people that were living in that United Nations camp uh, would fill three uh, professional football stadiums 
Okay, a lot of people. And the one thing that I saw more than anything else were, were the kids just sitting around. They didn't have anything to do whatsoever. Uh, let's go to the next one. There's the inside of one of those UN tents. And, um, you know, it tells you, you know, what, what goes on there. I, about the rice, it was kind of funny. The guy, I was talking to some of the fellows, and they said, yeah, they give us a bag of rice, but we got nothing to cook it on. <laughs> so, well, we'll see what we can do about that. Uh, you can imagine one shower, one toilet for every eight tents, 15 people in a tent. Again, it was quite the, I mean, you know, the world did what it could to help, but it was quite an emergency. Let's go to the next one. Okay. Did we miss one? Yeah, that one. Met these three kids who literally saw their parents murdered right in front of their eyes. And then the, the ISIS guys left the house and some relatives scooped up the kids and got them out of there. Uh, story after story after story. I was up there for a week and cried every day. And I, it got so bad, I just was, I didn't know what to do. I, I said, Lord, you know, this is a mess. Help us. And so the next slide, I'm praying with these fellows. These are the elders of that group of people that live there, the guys in the long shirts and the beards. Uh, they're Yazidi elders. And I said to them, look, I'm going to go back to Bahrain, and then I'm going to write letters to my friends in the United States, and I'm going to ask all these people to pray for you. What is the number one prayer request that you have? Anybody want to guess? Number one prayer request. Their number one prayer request was that these nasty people send back our daughters. So what do you mean by that? They said they had kidnapped over 2,000 of the girls. And I'm sorry if this is insensitive to you, but this is the reality over there. Between the ages of 9 and 40. But I ask you, if you're here today and you're between the ages of 9 and 40 and you're a lady, would you stand up, please? I just wanted you to get an idea of what this is like. Now, fellas, if all these girls were kidnapped and sold in the open market as sex slaves, what would be your reaction? What would be your reaction? You know, this is what the reality was to the Yazidi. Thank you, ladies. Think about it. Pray for your sisters over there. Uh, we got news about a year, year ago of a nine-year-old girl that ISIS sent back to the Yazidi area for safety. She was pregnant at age nine. I didn't even think it was possible. And by God's grace, there was a group of Germans, an NGO, a non-government organization, that took her in. They flew her to Germany where she could have the baby and not die uh, giving birth. These are some sick characters. They need Jesus. And if you want to pray for us, you need, pray that we can love them. It's hard to love people like that. And yet the Bible says to love those that hate you, to bless those that curse you. It's not easy. And it certainly isn't easy for these people um, that, that are suffering like they do. So let's go to the next one. Good. We're going to get happy now. Um, after seeing all those kids, I came back and talked to Sue about it, and we prayed together, and we said, what can we do for the kids? So by God's grace, we had two Christmas parties in Amman, Jordan, where there are so many refugees. And this church, the pastor's there in the corner picture with me. We threw these parties, and, and, and the kid with the big smile, his name is Stephen. He was standing outside right before the party was about to begin. Does anything say Christmas like that kid's face? You know, he was so excited. And... Uh, before the Christmas um, parties, uh, a couple weeks before, we went out. You see the lady, she's an Iraqi lady. She's got a little artificial Christmas tree. We gave 110 families a little Christmas tree. You say, well, you use the Lord's money to buy artificial Christmas trees? Yes, we did. Why? Because it gave them a sense of normalcy. They had been out. They lost everything. Hey. Have a Christmas. And so our teams went out, you know, two or three people, gave them the tree, decorated it with them, and read the Christmas story. Uh, and then we had these two parties, and each kid went away with a backpack, uh, like a school backpack. It had school supplies, some candy, of course, you know, and, and some games and stuff. There was a coupon for a winter coat, and, uh, and they had a good lunch. And I, I got to tell you, that was one of the happiest days of my life. Standing there, I, I had the privilege of giving them the children's Bible uh, with the pastor. So it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and we continue to bless them. We continue to bless them. Let's go to the next picture. 
We, uh, again, by God's grace, we've been able to start sending in medical teams. Um, guy sitting right next to me, with, uh, tall fella, he's from Gloucester County here in New Jersey. Uh, my daughter is up in the top there. She's got her arm around a little Iraqi gal who was helping to interpret. And uh, if you have medical skills or dental skills, if you're a dental technician or a dentist or a doctor or some sort of uh, physical therapist, any of that, we can help you to come over for a week in Jordan. It is relatively safe in Jordan. Traffic's a little weird, but it's relatively safe. We go for a week. Uh, you minister among the refugees. Uh, by God's grace, again, uh, last year we were able to set up a full clinic there uh, for them uh, with a dentist uh, room with two dental chairs, and, and it's, it's been a, a real blessing to help them. Let's go to the next one. All right, God has called us to proclaim the gospel. Let's look at verse 16, right? 16 and 17 in chapter 15. Paul's writing about himself, talking about God's grace. He said, Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, everything we do is in the name of Jesus, and we make no bones about that at all. So everything is about the Lord, and our teams, when they go out and visit the new refugees that come in, they start asking questions, seeing who would be open to having a Bible study. I had a Bible study with that fellow when I was up visiting. I went with one of the missionaries, uh, a fellow who had himself been a Muslim and gave his heart to Christ eight years ago. And that man right there, he has three wives and 27 children. He only brought one wife, and I got to tell you, I was so curious. I just wanted to know now, how come she made it and the other two didn't? You know, how do you make the cut when you got three wives? But I didn't ask; I, I couldn't do it. But um, we're called to preach the gospel, all of us. Uh, we're called, and we're called to preach Christ and Christ crucified. A lot of Muslims, when you meet them, they'll say, "Oh, we're the same. We believe in Jesus." Yeah, well, they believe he's a prophet, and the one thing they don't believe is the cross. And what did Paul say about Christians or people that worship Jesus? It, it, what did he say if you took away the cross? He said, you are the most pitied people on the planet if we take away the cross because you've got nothing. It's all about the cross of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to hear an amen out there. Do you believe that? We're cleansed by the blood of Christ. He paid the penalty that we cannot pay. That is essential. You can be as nice as you want to be. You can give away all the backpacks and shoes that you want. You've got to share Jesus and the cross. Christ crucified is the message that the world needs today. So that's a part of it. Our mission for all of us is to put the word of God into the heart of the people so that the people have a heart for God. And, and you can all do that. We can all do that. Let's go to another one here. The fellow that I did the Bible study with is on the right. He has an interesting story. He gave his heart to the Lord eight years ago up in Syria. He had one of these visions and dreams where Christ appeared to him. Uh, in that dream, he was told to go to a church. That priest at the church said, oh, I don't know what to do about that. There's, but there's a Protestant church down the street. Go there. And, and he went there, and they shared the, the faith with him. And uh, two years after he got saved, his sister got saved. Now, his sister was married, and, and her husband didn't like that she became a Christian, so he divorced her. You're allowed to divorce people if they leave Islam. It got worse than that. He got angry at her, turned her in to one of the bad boy gangs, and she was kidnapped and never heard from again. Her own husband did that. I mean, he was divorced. So my friend, uh, he, he was just brokenhearted, and, and I, he said, you know, my goal in life is, is to go find my sister, first of all. He said, but I want to go back into Syria and be a pastor and start a church. Man, that takes courage. That, that takes a lot of... I, I, God didn't call me to do that. He called him. And, and so we got him into Calvary Chapel University online classes, and he's studying to do that. The fellow on the left, his name is Sam. He is also a Syrian who had been a Muslim, gave his heart to Jesus, and, and he had to flee to you know, save his life. And uh, he was sharing the gospel so much in Jordan that he was deported. 
So last time I was there, I was like, well, where's Sam? Oh, he's been deported to Turkey. I said, what's he doing in Turkey? Trying not to get deported, but boy, is he sharing the gospel. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. All right, God has called us to give. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Paul mentions it there in, um, I can't read that, verse 24. If we go down to verse 24 in chapter 15, he's very plain about this, very bold. He says, uh, he's talking about going to, to Spain. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, you know, presumably on the way, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So he's actually, you know, saying, I hope you're going to be saving some money to give us money so we can do the ministry. Verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So you know the deal. There are poor people. Jesus said they will always be with us. They're an opportunity for us to share love. There, you know, a lot of stuff that we have we just don't need. And God says, but what you do need is to give. Um, someone said, money isn't a thing to grasp, but to give. You have a good job. You have an income so that you can give. And it's a lot of fun to give. I have a salary. Sue has a salary. If anybody gives to us while we're over here or sends it in the mail or stuff, it goes to these people that don't have. And what a fun time that is. I, we've got six kids, so we never had two nickels to rub together. So it's nice to be able to give your money <laughs> to other people. So Anyway, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 reminds us, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and you know as well as I do that the happy people, the people you like to be around are generous people. Uh, they just brighten up a room, you know, and that's a good thing. So, uh, by the way, this was, uh, we used funds given to the ministry. This was something we did in Bahrain. They have a book fair there every other year, every two years. So when I heard about it the first time, I went to the uh, Bible Society. It has a very small bookstore uh, connected to a church there. And I said to, to the manager, Daniel, I said, hey, Daniel, we need to be part of that book fair. This is a great opportunity. Oh, you know, I don't know about that. They might take my license away. We like to just play it low key. I said, Daniel, there's nothing low key about the cross. <laughs> you know, we live for the cross. We got to do this, man. Well, it took two years, but we pulled it off. They tried to stop us uh, right up. I think it was three weeks before the book fair. We got the okay. They put us down in a section where the Qurans were being sold. It was an interesting week for sure. But that's the book fair, and that's the stall that, that we supported. Over 300 Bibles were sold that week. And most of the people that bought them were from Saudi Arabia. So we praise the Lord for that. Um, so we give. I better move on for the sake of time, right? I don't know. How much time do we have left? 10 or 15 minutes. Great. We might do it all. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this was a project we were able to help way up near Turkey. This is in a Christian community. There's five villages way out there, and they had a school, and the roof was leaking, and there's a big hole in there, like a courtyard. They couldn't use it when it snows and rains. They said, can you help us put a roof on? So we did. And the next slide shows you one of the reasons why we do this. This is our reward in the next picture. The kids all made little cards for us, you know. Thank you for this, Brother Dennis. And that's the school, you know, with the happy face on it, keeping the rain out. I just love that stuff. So uh, let's look at the next one. Oh, that is the next one. Okay. Anyway. Um, there's a lot of different projects going if you'd like to help. If you have any skill whatsoever, I, I mentioned Susan teaching. If you're a teacher and you're looking for work, you can go over to the Middle East. Uh, most of the schools will pay you a salary. They'll pay you about $1,000 a month toward your housing, plus the same salary you would get here, uh, and a trip back to the United States once a year. And here's the winner. You don't pay any taxes. But don't come just for the money. Come because you love Jesus and you want to share the gospel with other people. I'm just telling you that because you don't have to go around and do a begathon to raise funds to go out and be a missionary. You can take the skills God gave you, and it could be anything. I got men in Saudi Arabia, they're engineers. 
They're sharing the gospel, okay? They don't have to ask any churches for money. What is the skill, the vocation that you have? You can go and you can serve uh, and God can be glorified. So God has called us to pray. That's me praying with the Yazidi fellow on that first trip. And down in verse 30 of, of our wonderful chapter 15, Paul says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, Okay, so in the name of Christ and the love of the Holy Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Now, I just asked you to pray for us that way, didn't I? Because we need to love these people, and it's not always easy. So um, the same people that would attack him, they would attack Christians, and, and they do now and again. Anyway, pray. Pray, he says. It goes without saying that Christians are called to pray. And maybe you can't go. Maybe, you know, for many reasons. I mean, one of the main things that you, you want to pray, especially for my wife, missionaries all around the world, the, the, probably the biggest challenge to all of us is missing our families. We have six grandkids as well as six kids. We miss them. It's hard. Um, I'm not asking for pity. I'm asking for prayer. Not for me, but for all those missionaries you support. That is the number one thing. It's so hard to be away from your family. So maybe you can't go. Maybe you have reasons to be here. Maybe you can't give. Maybe right now it's a bad time for you financially. That's understandable. Can't go, can't give, but you can pray. You can pray. I was in the prayer room this morning, and, and somebody was praying in there, a lady, about what a wonderful, powerful, powerful tool we have to pray. First um, John chapter 5, verse 14 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, in Christ, that if we ask anything according to His will, now that's important, what are you praying for? If you're praying for a trip to Disneyland, that might not quite fit, okay? Go ahead and pray anyway. He might surprise you. I don't know. But when you're praying about His will, about what He wants to do in the world, listen to what it says. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And I love what Oswald Chambers wrote. He said, prayer does not fit us for the work. Prayer is the greater work. Pray, pray, pray. The world needs Jesus now more than ever. They're killing us and thinking that they're pleasing God. Sometimes I pray they get an opportunity to meet God today. That's not a loving prayer. But I think they're going to be really surprised when they meet God. And he said, what? where did you ever get that idea? Because I love people. I love them so much I gave my son to die that their sins would be forgiven. God loves people. Pray. Pray as if you believe it. Um, let's go to the next one. I'll end with this story, and again, this is for you. But the year was 1930. There was going to be a naval conference in London, and King George, pictured here, was to address the opening session. Radio was in its infancy, but through this media of radio, the king's message was to be carried around the world. Just before the king was to go on air, Walter Vivian, a young engineer of the Columbia Broadcasting Company, discovered a broken wire in the transmitter. This was tragic. There was no time for repairs, and the world was waiting to hear the message of the king. The young engineer, he knew what to do. He took a piece of broken wire in his left hand, and he took a piece of broken wire in his right hand, and for 15 minutes, 250 volts of electricity flew through Walter Vivian so that the message of the king could be heard on air. Well, I think you know where this is going. The world is waiting to hear the message of the king. A message that he would like to transmit through you and I, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in him, who believe that we're called and that we're sent by God into this dark world to be the light and be the salt of the world. Will you be the transmitter for the king's message? Will you be the transmitter for the king's message? You've been equipped. So now I leave you with this. Go out and speak. 
Speak the message, give, pray, and may your life be a blessing to you as you're a blessing to others. Amen? Let's stand up and pray. Father God, it's a real treat to be here in Northfield. And for a guy living on a desert island, as I hear that rain out there, I'm really happy about that too. You give us so many blessings. Lord, if, if we were to open up the floor and just give everybody a chance to say what they're thankful for in prayer, we'd probably be here all day. You bless us with health. You bless us with family, with sobriety, with goodness, with purpose, with homes, with jobs, with beautiful nature around us. Lord, there's so much to be grateful for. And yet sometimes, Lord, we forget and we start to whine and complain as we humans are apt to do. Forgive us for those times, Lord, and help us to be more grateful for the things you give. Help us to sing loud when we sing, Lord, because our hearts are full of praise for you and for, full of gratitude. Lord, we would be amiss today if we did not pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering right now. Many of them have lost their homes uh, through war. This war has been going on for over five years now in Syria, Lord, and so many Christians have been hurt and, and killed and, and chased out of their homes all through Iraq. It continues, Lord. We ask you to bless the church. We pray, Lord, that you'll give some of them courage to stay. That area needs you, Lord. We don't want to see them leave. We don't want to see them immigrate. But for those that do, we ask you to watch over them. We pray for the United States as with the upcoming election that you would guide this nation. But we don't put our trust in politicians, Lord. We put our trust in you. And Lord, as we see immigrants coming to America, we, we pray for the church that we would open our hearts and our churches, our homes even, Lord, to them. And that you would give us enough love that they would see there's something different about all of us and we could joyfully say, well, my friend, that difference is Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be more Christ-like as we go throughout this day. Bless Pastor Tony and, and the church. May it grow to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.